Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? So glad you're here today. Uh, so, so recently, I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, satisfaction. See that word up there? See, more specifically, I'm thinking about satisfaction with my life. So a uh, little, little, little background note. So I, I turned 41 this past year. And uh, I have an awesome wife. I have two hilarious, really kind daughters. I have a great job, and, and my wife has a great job, and we love the community we get to live in and work in. That, that's you guys. And we own a house that we like, and our, our kids have great friends, and those friends have parents that aren't, like, super weird. And so we all get along. But, but I was thinking about this because I, I've recently begun to experience some dissatisfaction with some things in my life. Okay, and, and, and as I've looked at my life, I've kind of felt myself saying, you know, I think there are some things about my life that I'm not satisfied with, not fully satisfied with, things that I wish were a little bit different. And, and maybe, can, can I ask, have you experienced that? Like maybe you've recently been brought face to face with something that makes you ponder this question. We're gonna put up here this question. Am I satisfied? You know, the, the pandemic was, was definitely a jumping off point for a lot of people I know who went, you know what, I think it's time for a career change. Maybe it's time for, for a reset. Things aren't totally to my liking, and, and now is as good a time as any to change that. Maybe that's you. Uh, maybe those two years that we spent indoors in front of screens working kind of highlighted something, some key element about your life that you wish was drastically different. Maybe you're looking through old school papers and you find that what I want to be when I grow up paper that they made us all right when we were like eight. You know, remember we, we all had to do that? Teachers in the room, if you could just maybe admit that you had us write those papers really more because you just wanted to see how we third graders were like a bunch of like naive dorks. <laughs> maybe you're reading your old papers going, okay, the, this kid who wrote this, who grew up to be me, wanted to be either a world famous soccer player or a firefighter, or a stuntman. And you're like, nope, that is a 0 for 3. <laughs> or, or maybe you see someone else living out their dreams, and you're just like, oh, weird, that's what that looks like. And that contrast and compare function in your brain sort of like clicks to life. Like, here's a good example of this. Uh, one summer, when I was like 23, I went to a Giants game. And the relief pitcher they brought out for the sixth inning had a really familiar name. And they put his face on the jumbotron, and I had this moment where I just went, oh, holy crap, I know that guy. I was in third grade with that guy. Like, I went to sleepovers at his house. And look at him now. Like, he's living his dream. He's a baseball player. And I was like, uh, what have I done with my life? And I'm like 23 years old, by the way. I'm having like an existential crisis in the stands of AT&T Park. It was really sad. Um, <laughs> I mean, even now, right, like 2022, like I said, I've got a great life, and on my best days, I, I would say I am totally satisfied. But in really honest moments, there are probably some things about my life that I would change. Let's, like, take, for example, my house. I love my house. It's great. It's a little bit small. That's not it. Um, we, we have this, like, nighttime ritual with my daughters where uh, before they go to sleep, my two daughters and my wife, they all get cuddled up in, in the bed together in our bedroom and they watch like YouTube videos together. And that's totally fine because then I can go out on the couch in the living room and like read a book or put on a record or watch a baseball game or something. But, but uh, every once in a while, uh, Emmy, my youngest, gets mad at the videos they want to watch and she like revolts. She's like, I'm going to go watch my own videos. And she goes out to the living room 
which is where I'm at. And she is like, no, I'm going to lay here and watch TV now. And, um, and so before I know it, I'm like on my back porch, like streaming a game on an iPad, like some sort of like weird peasant. And um, <laughs> like, I feel like exiled. I'm like, we're running out of space here. Okay, so it's getting bad. I wouldn't mind having a house with a little more room in it so that maybe I could have my own space from time to time, okay? I'd also be forced to say something like, you know, both Amy and I have really good jobs, but I wish we didn't both have to work. I'd be a good stay-at-home dad. Look at that guy, I could be him. <laughs> I would make so many good snacks for my kids, okay? How about the cars we drive? We live in Livermore. It's like the Tesla capital of the world now. <laughs> and like, I have a Honda, I've had it for 12 years, it's running fine, but I kind of wish it was like cooler. Even small things, like, I, like my front lawn, let me tell about my lawn. My lawn sucks. It is like the one thing we cannot figure out about home ownership. And our neighbors, they have like the nicest lawn. And it's so funny when our kids get outside and play together out front, and I, I, I can kind of see where like my lawn ends and his begins. It is rough. It's like Kansas to Oz. Um, how lame is that, by the way? Like I became such a suburban dad that I'm like obsessed with how green my lawn is compared to the other guys. Like, they literally made a whole saying about what I'm going through in my head. Uh, you know, the, the grass being greener. Okay, yeah. So, so, so there's a really good chance that you and I are dissatisfied about small things or, or big things about our lives. But rest assured, I don't want you to worry because it's not just us who sometimes feel this way. Uh, recently, I found out that, that Gallup has an annual poll they do called the Mood of the Nation poll. And they poll Americans on their satisfaction on different things. Like, how satisfied are you with the economy? How satisfied are you with how America deals with other nations? Yeah, but it also asks more personal questions, like, how satisfied are you with your current life? Hmm. How satisfied are you with the amount of money you currently make? And here's what they found. Here's what it says. Two years ago, before the COVID-19 pandemic took hold of this nation, 65%, look at that number, of US adults said they were very satisfied with their own lives. Last year, however, the pandemic-weary public's high personal satisfaction rating fell to 51%, and it remains at that level today. So here's what all of this should tell you. And it's the same thing you could say to me, I could say to you, we could say to everyone we know, we probably would be right, and it's this. You are hard to satisfy. I mean that. Think about it. You me, we all, are hard to satisfy. Here's how uh, Tulsi Tanti, who's a world-renowned expert on clean energy, here's how he puts it. He says this, we always want more. Whether it is better clothes, a bigger house, faster cars, or the latest gadgets, satisfaction, there's that word, in these days of consumerism is difficult to find. So, so Jesus, in his time, noticed how hard people can be to satisfy and how ungrateful we can appear. There's a story in, in Luke 17 where, where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Just like that, he heals them of their disease. And the author, Luke, makes sure to mention that only one of those lepers came back to thank Jesus for what had just happened. And Jesus even goes out of his way to mention it. Check this out. We're told, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? We're going to hold on to that story for a bit, and we're going to come back to it, because there's something really important here. 
Um, today, we're going to talk about, we're going to look at what Jesus knew and how his people, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, learned to deal with dissatisfaction. So the, the ancient Jewish culture that Jesus came from had a lot of things to say about satisfaction and, and dissatisfaction. And part of the Jewish culture, specifically how they cultivate gratitude, is rooted in the dissatisfaction they experienced after they were led out of Egypt. Remember the story, the Israelites are in Egypt and they're living as slaves. And one of them, Moses, grows into a leader who leaves Egypt and is told by God, no, you're gonna go back to Egypt, you're gonna free your people, you're gonna lead them on foot to a new land, a promised land. Actually, we're told this, it's gonna be a land overflowing with milk and honey. Remember that phrase, by the way, overflowing with milk and honey. And so after a lot of crazy, miraculous events, and I think Charlton Heston gets involved somehow, I don't know, the, the Israelites escape Egypt and they find themselves free from slavery, but now they're walking through an endless desert. And almost immediately, we're told, they start noticing and talking about how dissatisfied they are with their present circumstance. And they're not quiet about it. They complain endlessly, we're told. They complain about the desert. They complain about Moses and how he's leading them. And in the middle of this, there are a few moments that are going to show us right now a pattern of what the main problem really is. So here, here's the deal. First off, they complain, there's no food. Then God brings them food. So they start complaining, there's not enough food, and it's all the same food, and we don't think we like this food. Okay, the author of Exodus records this. This is what he says. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in, where? Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I gotta point this out real quick. When they say this, it's been less than two months at this point since God delivered these people out of brutal slavery and they're already dissatisfied. Not only that, there's this whole machine of dissatisfaction and it's running off of memories of how great it was in Egypt. Egypt, like they were beaten, they were enslaved, labor conditions were miserable, but they're saying, you know what? We think it was better there because we were at least taken care of in the food department. There's a separate part of the story, in fact, where you hear them reminisce about Egypt, and at one point, they start calling Egypt, you ready for this? A land overflowing with milk and honey. They start calling Egypt that. And I just can't imagine if you were Moses hearing that, going, wait, what do you call, what? No, that's where we're going. I took you away from something horrible. What's going on here? Soon, they find something else they're not satisfied with. Check this out, very next chapter. But the people were thirsty for water in the desert. You need water. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why? Here's that question again. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So you read the story. What happens? God provides water miraculously in the desert from a rock. But already, Moses is starting to see a pattern. Here's what he says after that. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. God, they want to kill me, he's saying. Mo Moses is saying, hey, God, dissatisfaction down here is at an all-time high. Something 
is going on here. Still later, uh, Moses takes a quick break to remove himself from the group and, and, and be alone with God and, and hear from God on what laws his people should follow. And he comes back after a little while away and he finds that they've actually grown so dissatisfied with how long Moses is taking and how long this process of trusting God is taking that they have made their own God out of gold and they are now worshiping it. So let's, let's pause here. Do you see what's happening here with the Israelites? They are so dissatisfied with their present circumstances that they are taking matters into their own hands. And it's not good. And Moses sees what's happening and he realizes they are being poisoned from the inside. There's this wild, bitter stain of ungratefulness and it is eating his people alive. Can we take a quick moment and just pause the story and bring ourselves into focus here a bit because I read this and I see myself in it. And, and, and maybe you do too. I see the moments of, of hunger and thirst and I see the space that I, I wish God would come fill and it's so easy for me to respond with, with frustration and grumbling. But, 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 but in that frustration and in that grumbling comes bitterness and it's this, it's this weed that threatens to choke out the fulfillment and satisfaction that I want to have. And in moments like this, if I were being honest, it's not I need a bigger house, I need a better lawn, I need a fuller life. It's that I don't have gratitude for what I have. I'm not grateful for what I have. Here's that word gratitude. And you guys know this word, but I'm gonna throw it up anyway, the definition. Here we go, gratitude is the quality of being thankful. Readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. So here's what this tells us. And I've taken this to heart, and I wonder if you should too. And here's what it is. At the heart of dissatisfaction is me not being grateful for what I have. At the heart of dissatisfaction is me not being grateful for what I have. So we get to the end of their journey. 40 years later, they've been in the desert, and we see what Moses is going to tell his people as they reach the edge of the promised land. And and if you read the the first part of the book of Deuteronomy, it's Moses' final reminders to this nation that he has led as they get ready to enter the promised land. And he's like, we've made it. We did it, guys. But before you throw your bags down and start looking for the swimming pool and to see if the snack machines have anything good, before the good life even starts, I need you to hear this. Here's what, here's what he says in Deuteronomy. Here's what he says. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Praise him. He, he then goes on to warn his people what's going to happen if they don't make daily, regular gratitude a habit. Otherwise, he says in verse 12, when you eat and are satisfied... When you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses knows his people, and he knows that once life gets to normal, that dissatisfaction is going to set in. It's going to return perspectives are going to shift. And, and, and he knows that the people he just traveled through the desert with 
are going to begin to discount in their hearts, in their heads, the massive role that God played in providing them with everything they needed to make it from point A to point B. But, but in a way, Moses is sort of talking to us, right? I read this, and I see Moses talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to us. He's saying, I see the danger in complaining and non-gratitude. I see that it makes you forget how it's God that gives you gifts. And it's God who opens doors and allows you to build families and learn skills and make a living for yourself. And you're going to start believing that this stuff comes from you and in your hands. And it's going to lead you to work harder and hustle and grind. And it's going to wear you down. It's easy to go through our days with attitudes of complaint or apathy and end up missing the blessings all around us. So how does Moses want us to counteract that? He wants us to thank God daily after everything. Good things, bad things. Thank God so you remember who he is and what he's done. Jewish culture has a name for these sort of prayers. See, in order to heed this warning that, that Moses gave to him, the, the Jewish people developed this tradition of offering specific short prayers throughout the day, from the instant they awoke until the moment they fell asleep. And, and we're talking about the practice of many Jews from Jesus' time until today, and it's reminding themselves of God all day long by saying these short prayers of blessing. And these tiny prayers of, of thankfulness and gratitude to the Creator, and each tiny prayer is called a braha. Yep, can you say that? Braha. Can you say that? Braha. And it means blessing. See, in our modern day English, the word blessing has kind of been like transformed into bestowing favor on someone. But when the, when the Bible speaks of people blessing the Lord, like when David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, it means to praise. To, to bless God is to praise him. It's to acknowledge him as a source of all blessing. It, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. One way I heard it explained is that this word for bless, braha, has the same root word as to kneel. Like if you're momentarily just like kneeling down and, and mentally and humbly praising God for his goodness. And so... What a typical day for your average Jewish person in Jesus' time would be was this. You wake up to the rooster's crow, you hear it, you look out your window, you see this incredible sunrise, look at that. And your response might be to pray this, blessed is he who has given the rooster understanding to distinguish between day and night. And you close your eyes, you open them again, you open your eyes, and as you open your eyes, you might pray this, blessed is he who opens the eyes of the blind. Then for, for good measure, you'd probably say another couple of prayers praising God for every body part still functioning. It's true. <laughs> then you'd go outside. Maybe you're walking a temple and you, you see the flowers budding on the fruit trees on your way and you would say this, blessed is he who did not omit anything from the world and created within it good creations and good trees for people to enjoy. See, you would bless God when you see the ocean for the first time in a long time. Or when you see a king in his royal uh, procession. 
You'd bless them if you saw an exceptionally beautiful person or, or a gifted rabbi. You'd pray a word of praise if you were reunited with a long-lost friend. Even the, the very small things, like when you'd peel a fresh orange and you smell the citrus underneath it, you'd praise God saying, blessed is he who has given a pleasant smell to fruits. Now, does some of this seem like a little much? Someone from the ancient Jewish culture would say, no, it's not. It's exactly the training my heart needs because I want to be thankful in all things. And the reason the Jewish people, up to Jesus' day and beyond, the reason they did this and the reason they continue to do this is because they realize how important muscle memory is. You know about muscle memory, right? Let's, let's do it. Let's learn about muscle memory. You see, muscle memory is the process by which we train our body to do tasks without us even thinking about it. And the way this is done is through repetition. Repetition, right? When our specific movement is repeated over time, our brains create this long-term muscle memory for that task, and it makes it so our body can perform it without even having to get our brains involved. Here's an example, okay? I love to run, all right? That's me. Just kidding. It, <laughs> running has literally become the way I exercise. It's the way I find peace and quiet. It's how I get out of the house sometimes. Uh, and when I was learning how to properly run years ago, I was trying to figure out why I would always get like these side cramps and these side aches when I was going longer than a few minutes. I would be the guy on the side of the road just like, just bent over, just wheezing, right, holding my side. And I would see like, these super old dudes just run past me. You know what I'm talking about? Like those like super jacked 80-year-old dudes who could totally take me in a fight, right? And I would just watch them going and keep going and keep going, and I'm back here just sucking air going. And I remember, keep in mind, I'm not trying to run harder or faster. I'm just trying to go longer. So I started asking some people I know who ran about breathing techniques. Because when you get older, I have to let you know this, that's the thing you talk to your buddies about in the bar. Like, so how do you run so far and so long? Yeah, and I, and I, learned, that, that I learned that one of the chief things I can do with my breathing is learn to breathe in through my nose and exhale out through my mouth, like this. Right? Easy, right? That's not the natural way I breathe at all. See, I was used to just sucking and gulping in as much air as I could through my mouth, like, <gasps> you know? And uh, you can, if you want to say that, we can have that be your ringtone or something. And, um, and, and I was exhaling through my mouth as well, like, <sighs> so I needed my brain to learn to do that naturally. I needed my brain to do this <sighs> instead of, <sighs> you know? So I, I'm glad you guys like this. Uh, and, and, so I started making that a practice whenever I ran. So I used to run to music, not anymore because I'm like a psycho now, but I used to run to music and I would do it on beats of the music. I'd be like, and, and, and those first times as I'm training my brain to change the way it breathes, I'm like concentrated. I'm like working hard at it. I'm telling my brain, through your nose, out your mouth, through your nose, out your mouth. And, and eventually what happens is my brain started doing it by itself without me thinking about it. My brain remembered because it had been trained to do that. It had been trained that when we run, we breathe like this. And that's what the act of continual blessing, of continual giving thanks is meant to do. 
That's the goal of Raha. It's this, since I know that I am liable to fall into the trap of complaint, to fall into the trap of bitterness, uh, to, to let my dissatisfaction in my life blossom into something worse and lead me to forget the gifts that God has given, I have got to train my heart, I've got to train my brain to consistently bless the Lord. To, to thank the Lord uh, for, for the goodness I experience in life on a daily basis. See, what, what Moses started on that day with the Israelites was the act of remembering God in everything, the good and the bad. So let's jump back to the book of Luke and our story of Jesus healing the lepers. Remember, we see Jesus heal 10 lepers, and one comes back to bless him, to thank him. One. And he was probably praying something like this, your traditional braha blessing of, blessed is he who does good to the undeserving and has rendered every kindness to me. And we see Jesus wonder out loud, why is this the only one thanking God for the miracle? And I read that, and I wonder if, if part of that failure to come back and speak gratitude, to offer a braha, is because these lepers had lived such a miserable life. That, that when this miraculous, earth-shattering thing was done to them, this gift of healing, their first instinct was, okay, on with life. Time to get back into society. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 wait, wait, remember. Don't fail to remember how God did this good thing. You see that the tradition of, of blessing God, this, this practice of braha, is one that takes a glass half full approach to life. And it leads me to this. What would our lives be like if we adopted and put into practice what Moses told the Jewish nation as they got ready to go to paradise? What if we learned to pause at every possible moment to kneel and, and bless God for what you've been given, for what's been provided? When we, when we started our time together this morning, we laughed about how commonplace it is for us to complain that the things in our lives, about the things in our lives that God has given us. Sometime last year, I, I picked up a friend of mine who was visiting from the Midwest, and, and he had never been to California. I'll never forget picking him up from the airport and him just going, oh my gosh, it's March and the weather here is incredible. He's like from Kansas. He's like, I packed a heavy jacket. Why did I pack a heavy jacket? I don't even need it. It's so warm here. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's actually warm here a lot. It's great. I love it. And we're getting in the car, get his bags, get in the car. We're trying to figure out what he should eat first, first meal in California. I'm like, dude, do you like, like burritos? And he's like, yeah, we totally have burritos in Kansas. Let's get a burrito. And I'm like, oh. Mm. <laughs> it's really sweet. I was like, I don't know what you've eaten in Kansas, but this is going to be different. Uh, I took him to the mission, and I, we got this burrito here at Taqueria El Ferralito. Do you guys know this place? Oh, my gosh. A lot of people hold this place as being, like, one of the true originators of the modern-day burrito. People like me care about that, by the way. And <laughs> they brought out this gigantic foil-wrapped burrito, and I just saw his face. He's like, oh, this is like, I eat this? Yeah. And in my mind, I went, huh, I could eat these every day if I wanted to. It's not even hard to get. I'm going to be honest. 
I pretty much do eat these every day. So, <laughs> but it went deeper than that. He hung out for the weekend at my house, and we got coffee, and we hiked. We hung out on my front lawn. We talked about how nice my neighbor's lawn was when my kids played. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I showed him all the East Bay has to offer. We have like 70 wineries. Pick five. We'll go there. We, we like hiked around. The weather was beautiful the whole time. I'll never forget taking him back to the airport after the weekend trip was over. And we're standing out front of Oakland Airport, and him just going, man, this was the best trip. Thank you so much. And then he says something. I'll never forget this. He goes, you have a good life, man. You have a good life. And you know what? I needed to be reminded. Because I get caught up in gas prices. <laughs> right? I get caught up in cost of living. I get caught up in the, the gears of just walking through this world, and it's easy for me to let ingratitude come in and start crowding out my memory and my understanding of how good this life is. We need to be reminded. Living the, the sort of lives we live where, where we think a better life is always within reach, where the drive to prosper can lead us to dissatisfaction so easily, how it can, it can cause the part of us that notices the good things, that knows that they all come from God's hand, it can cause that part of us to weaken, to, to atrophy. Unless we intentionally bless God, intentionally train our hearts and our souls to praise God for everything, the good and the bad and the normal we will not develop the sort of muscle memory that's trained to experience gratitude, trained to find satisfaction in life. We won't be trained to remember the good things that God has done. We'll find ourselves more likely to complain about the weather when really we live in California and we are blessed like with moderate to amazing climates. We'll stand at the gas pump and we'll complain about rising prices when really our resources and our blessings have led many of us to car ownership, a readily available means of transportation that many other Americans don't have. We will throw our hands up when, when dealing with frustrating family members or, or children whose behavior we can't control and we'll miss the opportunities to thank God that he gave us family, that he gave us tribes to other storms and walk through deserts. We'll lose track of the good things God has gifted to each of us, the benefits he's provided, the miracles he's done. Uh, well, our, our, our time today is coming to a close, but before we leave, we wanted to, to do one thing together. And um, just like Moses urged his people to do whatever was possible to remember the generosity, remember the kindness of their creator, Jesus urged us to, to do some intentional things to remember him, to remember who he was and, and what he represents, to, to remember what he's done so that we might experience closeness with God, closeness with the giver of all gifts. As you walked in this morning, you were handed communion elements. And if you didn't manage to, to grab them, we have more of the entrances where you came in, so feel free to go grab them now. But as a church, we like to set aside time on a semi-regular basis to take communion together. And if I'm being fully honest, I grew up in the church, and the taking of communion hasn't always been something that connects with me. Maybe you feel that way too. These last few weeks, though, here at Crosswinds, as we've sat with Jesus and listened to how his culture shaped who he is and what he taught, I've been reminded that for me, and potentially for all of us, the, the act of communion represents so much more than eating a cracker and drinking some grape juice.
It represents intention. It represents slowing down and taking a, a moment. It's a sort of kneeling, right? We learned how it was like a kneeling to where we earlier taught. It's one of the meanings of this word baraha. We just kneel and we pause and we say, oh, God, thank you. It was going fast there. I had to slow down. Thank you, God. We, we can get caught up in the machinery of the world and what it demands of us in terms of our energy and our attention. And the act of communion is a slowing down. It's giving space for our hearts to, to remember God's goodness, to do something that builds muscle memory, right? Something that will teach our hearts to thank God, to, to bless God at all moments, at all intervals of the day, at every event, at every circumstance. But before we take uh, communion together, I, I, want you to, I want you to hear this song. Uh, we're going to put the lyrics of, of this song up on the screen. But if I'm being honest, this isn't really a song that, that we all have to sing together. In fact, I want you to do something different as you, as you hear this song. We're, we're actually going to just take a moment. I'm going to ask you to do something like super intentional right now. And that's this. We're going to put the lyrics up on the screen. And I want you, as we sing this, as I sing this, I want you to take a moment to make a list of, of everything you're grateful for. And don't just go, you know, cars, kids, house, all the stuff he said. No, I want you to dig deep and take a look at the life that you've been given. Where is God's voice whispering? Where is it pointing you to satisfaction? Where is it pointing you to gratitude? In a moment, when the song's over, we'll take communion together, but I want you to hear this song.
nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah So come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs, get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, so come on, master. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Because you've got a lion inside of these lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you stand with me as we take communion together? Let's take the bread in our hands and let's pray. We pray, Creator God, we hold here in our hands proof that you have been gracious, proof that you've been generous and so good to us, God. So we eat this bread so we'll remember the source of all gifts no matter where life takes us. Go ahead and eat the bread. drink. Let's pray together. Faithful Father, we know that our hearts struggle to remember. Our hearts struggle to find satisfaction and gratitude in all things. So as we drink this cup, may we remember, may we be reminded daily, Father God, of your goodness in all things, Father God. Be with us now as we spend the rest of our weeks working to remember all the good things you've done for us, Father. Go ahead and drink the cup. We're going to pray as we close our service, but I just want to say one thing, that if, if you're standing here this morning and you want further prayer with someone, our, our pastor 
and our elders will be here about the front ready to pray with you. It's the first of the first Sunday of the month. We always do that. So don't be afraid to come on down and be prayed for. Let me just pray for us as we close our time together. God, we just recognize how good and how generous you've been to us, Father God. We don't want to forget, Lord. So, Lord, would you be constantly on our minds as we walk through our days, no matter how mundane and boring they might seem to us, Lord. May we see them as opportunities to be reminded of your goodness in all things, As we walk through the week and the month and the year ahead of us, Father God, as we walk with our families and our friends through deserts and storms, God, Lord, we want to remember who you are. Remember you as being the source of all gifts, the source of all great things given to us, God. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you so much. Hope you guys have a great day, a great week, and we'll see you back here next week. Amen. Thank you.